You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Okay, hi everyone. Today, I have the pleasure of being with Somoya Deb, who is the founder and CEO of Rudderstack. So, and I, I'm, I've been practicing your first name, uh, Somoya Deb. Is that pretty much okay? Does that sound all right? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Great, great. Great, great job. Do you want to just uh, introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah. Uh, firstly, thanks a lot for having me. Really excited to be here. Um, as uh, as Barry said, I am the founder and CEO of Rudderstack. Rudderstack is, is, is a startup based out of San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, I've been doing it for the last year and a half. This is really my third startup. I, I did a company before this called Mariana IQ, uh, like ran it for four years, sold it to a company like uh, called 8x8. It is a public telecom company, spent a year there. And some of the problems that I faced during my doing my job at 8x8 prompted me to start Rudderstack. And mm-hmm. my first startup was right out of college. Uh, we are a couple of kids. We are doing, uh, like, thought uh, we have some cool ideas around how to use uh, embedded systems and how to do, like, telemedicine. Like, they're great technical problems, but, like, very bad business ideas. So, learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 other than the, being a, an entrepreneur, I, I have a PhD in databases. So, uh, I've mostly worked in data all my life, but mm-hmm. data applied to marketing in the last couple of years. So that's my Excellent. quick bio. You you mentioned that there was a problem at that you identified at eight by eight, and so you built Rudderstack to solve that problem. Am I right? That that is correct. And what problem was that? Yeah, so it, like it is it is more of a problem for like the, the doing the stuff I was supposed to do, right? So eight by eight is like a public wipe uh, telecom company. So we have hundred thousand customers. We have a uh, lot of consumers using our product what we wanted to do was to uh, collect data about our customers right so understand what they are doing with the product uh, how much are they using the product and, and so on to drive a number of different use cases so for example we wanted to uh, look at the product usage and predict churn like can we say which of our 100,000 customers are going to churn uh, based on various factors, like if, like if their product usage has been going down or if they are, they have a lot of pending support tickets uh, and they're not happy about the product. So could we predict churn and then proactively reach out to them? Uh, the support team could reach out, give them a coupon or whatever, right? So we, we had all that, like we, we th- in theory had all the data like to, to do a good prediction about churn, but doing, doing that in practice required to collect the data into one single place, like do, do like all kinds of machine learning on top of that data, and then like mm-hmm. send that result back to whatever tools the support team was using. So building this end-to-end system required collecting all these different places, uh, the, uh, the data from all these different places, bringing it to one central place. That's where like the, the machine learning team and the data science team could work on that data, like build models. And once the models are built, trained, and, and, and the predictions are ready, 
then you want to take that prediction and push it back to some tool like Gainsight, which the support team was using, right? So mm-hmm. building this pipe pipe end to end was was a non-trivial thing. I mean, we, we started with collecting the data and is not a very trivial exercise to collect the data because of the complexity and the velocity and the amount of data. And that was kind of the genesis for starting Rudderstack, like building a solution to make it really easy to uh, to collect customer data. Mm-hmm. Do you all work with d- data hubs like BigQuery? Yeah, so that that's a great question. And like the BigQuery or Snowflake or Redshift, these are the destination where you want to collect all that data, right? So like, I mean, uh, in, in Rudderstack, like that is the number one place where people are dumping all that data. But what, the complexity arises because of the different sources you are pulling the data from. So if you have a mobile app, then you want to collect data from the apps itself, right? How many, what people are doing in the app. Then you, if you have like some kind of a CRM system like Salesforce, you want to pull data from the Salesforce CRM system, right? And if you have some kind, kind of like a, like a ticketing system, you want to pull that data. Uh, if you are like a retail store, you also have like a physical point of sale system and you want to pull that data, right? So the, the different places uh, that you have customer data is like is staggering and that adds to the complexity but like you want to the end goal is to bring all this together into some kind of a data warehouse like bigquery or snowflake and so on so mm-hmm. and then how is how does your platform work with bigquery or snowflake yeah i mean that is uh, like the, the way you use rudderstack is you go to the ui you say that like i want to send all this data into uh, BigQuery or Snowflake, you give us the credentials and we'll pipe all the data into that system. So it's really easy to set things up uh, on the destination side. On the source side, then we have different SDKs. So if you have a mobile app, then you embed our mobile SDK and and you use that to collect data from the mobile app. Similarly, we have like server-side SDKs, we have JavaScript SDKs and all the stuff. At some point, we'll have a point-of-sale SDK also. Okay. Who are your, what is your most common type of customer? Who is your ideal customer? So, like, so there are two aspects to that, right? One is like which teams are buying Rudderstack, and that is invariably the engineering teams. Like, uh, this this customer ecosystem has also evolved quite a bit. Initially, it was the marketing team which was responsible for collecting customer data, right? They are uh, collecting the data for doing more personalized marketing. But as companies evolve, they are real- realizing that the use case of customer data spans uh, across orgs. Right? It is not just marketing. There are support use cases. There are product use cases. Right? There are product uh, uh, like personalization use cases. So because of the complexity of the 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 the, the data and, and the different use cases, more and more engineering teams are putting together this uh, customer data stack. So we primarily sell to the engineering teams. So that's kind of uh, on the buyer persona. The other aspect is like what kind of companies are we selling to? So it's mostly B2C companies. Like they are generally more advanced when it comes to collecting customer data and so on. So like 80% of our customers are B2C companies of some scale, right? And like like any we have customers from like uh, like a series A B company with like 20 to 30 employees all the way to like public large public companies. So mm-hmm. that that's uh, that's the customer profile. We also have a few B2B companies. Like uh, cutting edge B2B companies are also starting to collect more and more customer data and do like more advanced analytics on top. So, yeah. Uh, but I would say like 80 20 split between B2C and B2B. Are there, are there any particular industries that you're targeting a focus on? Yeah. Uh, I, we, uh, there are two things. One is like like e commerce is uh, not, not surprisingly, I mean, they, they have the largest customer base and, and, uh, 
they they also want uh, the most sophisticated when it comes to like an, uh, doing, doing analysis with customer data or like doing personalization and so on so uh, we have a bunch of uh, e-commerce vendors right? like we the, the, the largest like grocery delivery company in india in in russia in uh, saudi arabia in in, in, in turkey and uh, like and we are talking to a few uh, of those customers in us they are all using data stack to collect customer data so that's one thing which is overrepresented but other than that we also have like a couple of fintech customers healthcare customers and so on and part of that also is because of our product differentiator right we are the only company which can be run inside a customer's environment so it's like we have a saas offering but we also have like a on prem offering so if, if somebody is in a regulated industry uh, they can use data stack without sharing that data mm-hmm. so that that also helped us get into some of these niche uh, like regulated verticals got it I see also that you're pricing the product based on uh, some usage based pricing uh, according to the number of events mm-hmm. am i right yeah that is correct so starting at half a million and then 25 million up to wow i mean uh, 200 million plus events and how did you come up with that pricing model because that's very interesting it's a it's a great example of a usage based pricing for, yeah, I mean, for a SaaS company uh, i mean like like figuring out the pricing is always the hard part right i mean how, like how do you price your product and there is mm-hmm. no like science to it it is almost like you just like come up with something and then you test it out and if it works uh, if everybody is all your customers are super, super happy with it then you are probably underpricing your product and then mm-hmm. if, if they are super unhappy then like yeah you probably overpricing so i mean it's not that we have kind of figured it out uh, like we, we are still kind of learning from our customers like what what is the right price point that's on the exact dollar amount but but to your question around usage based pricing i mean that's i mean you have to finally tie it to some notion some vector right as so that as your customer expands right if, if your customer grows like in a b2c company if they have like more customers you want to make more more money right I mean, they, they get more value of the products so you want to make more money out of it right so it has to be tied to some notion of a usage like traditionally uh, it is tied to number of users but like for a product like ours and the, the number of users doesn't make sense right i mean uh, like no it doesn't so it, like how many events is a good proxy i mean as reasonable a proxy uh, of like the 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 scale of our customers as as, as you can think of something else mm-hmm. let's let's talk a bit about the the learn section of your website mm-hmm. and i can see that you're doing a whole lot of content marketing here there's a blog a very active blog a video library migration guides um, there's a lot of documentation comparison with uh, head to head comparison with segment and with snowplow and a bunch of case studies can you walk me through your uh, your content marketing strategy yeah i mean that's again something we are learning uh, we have a great team which has been producing uh, content at a very high velocity and uh, that uh, that has been uh, super helpful but again i'm like, taking a step back right i mean we all our leads are inbound i mean we haven't closed a single deal which was like an outbound so given the focus on inbound uh, we need to scale inbound right and the only way to scale inbound is to write great content uh, both on uh, all the kind of content that you're talking about right so like i mean i i don't say like we have kind of really figured out what content is working it's mostly like like some things we know works like video content has been super helpful uh, they, they they convert quite a bit uh, webinars have been working like blogs we have done a lot of blog some of them really show up on some popular websites so 
to my earlier point, uh, we, we are trying to sell to like the engineering teams, the developer persona and so on. And then there are specific websites the, the developers really hang out, right? I mean, there is Hacker News and there is like dev.to, mm -hmm. Newstack. Right? There's a popular website for developers. And the, the way to get exposure uh, in those websites is like you write a great blog and that shows up on their first page. So we have been kind of writing a lot of content for developers, even if they're not completely uh, about Rudderstack. I mean, selling to developers is always hard. You don't want to like just talk about yourself, right? You want to talk about a problem that they are having. So. We have been kind of writing content around that to show up in websites where the developers are. Similarly, we also have been doing like SEO content. Right? I mean, you do want to rank high on certain keywords, and then we have kind of written a bunch of content around that. So, like, mm -hmm. like our to, to answer your question, our content market strategy is to like do a bunch of things, right? All the way from developer content to like uh, like case studies, which are more useful for sales collateral, right? When you are reaching out to a customer, they ask for a case study. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I mean. Uh, doing a bunch of stuff, uh, but thankfully we, we have been like doing well in terms of velocity. Uh, we st uh, like, uh, I'm sure like there is always scope for improvement, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, like what exactly? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I'm checking out some data right now on, on some keywords and it looks like you've got some really strong organic rankings on Google for uh, keywords that include clickstream and clickstream data. And it looks like it's a blog post that was, um, well, it's basically data mining for clickstream analytics, and it looks like that was updated a few times. But that's that's a great example of targeting. I, I don't know if it was intentional that you were targeting that keyword, but that keyword and the variations have several thousand searches yeah, per I month, mean, it, and you're ranking on page one exactly. um, so, I mean, for lots of terms like that, that include clickstream. Yeah, so clickstream is a very clickstream analytics. It's a very important, relevant keyword for us, right? Because people who uh, who buy Rudderstack are generally trying to do clickstream analytics, right? They want to collect, this is the term that the engineers often use for uh, this kind of uh, product, right? So, uh, so yeah, I mean, ranking high on that helped. What is clickstream analytics for those who don't know? So clickstream, think of it as uh, like, so what is clickstream firstly, right? Clickstream is like, uh, the, it, it says click, but uh, like it kind of means a, a, any uh, activity in your app, right? So let's say if you have a website, then you want to collect all the activity that happens on that website right? all the buttons somebody, your, your web visitors are clicking and all the pages they are going to. So that event stream of all the activity is, is what, what is generally called a click stream. And analytics means you want to collect all that data and then you want to do some analysis of that data. Right? Analytics is just one use case. I mean, you typically want to do first some analytics to understand, let's say, what pages people are going to more often and, and uh, what, what products they are clicking on, what searches they are making. So that that is called clickstream analytics like most for example if you if if you know google analytics then like people are people are sending their clickstream to google analytics to do like like analytics on stock right so google analytics is great for like early uh, like for simple analytics but then if you want to do more sophisticated things then you want to dump that data into some kind of a data warehouse and then do your own uh, analysis on top so that do you try to catch people, uh, engineers that might be looking to do data warehousing, and is that a good is that a good point in their journey to try to reach out to them and make them aware of, of Rudderstack's solution? Yeah, I, absolutely. I think uh, companies which are trying to put together a data warehouse uh, or have recently put uh, bought a data warehousing solution uh, are, are very good target for us to go after. Uh, so. It has been challenging though to find those people, right? I mean, to find people who are like just. Uh, uh, like, like, yeah, uh, setting up a data warehouse. And 
So yeah, I mean that that's something. Why not uh, paid search? Yeah, I mean the the only challenge with that is like uh, the the warehouse keywords are very very expensive, right? Snowflake, mm -hmm. BigQuery. I mean, if you want to just bid on Snowflake uh, or BigQuery or Redshift, like yeah, those are very expensive keywords, and that, those are not like. The, the way I think about it, like somebody who is just researching on Snowflake is probably a bit early. So somebody once they have purchased Snowflake and deployed it and like and, and so on, that's when you want to go and sell a clickstream solution. Right? I mean, dumping clickstream into the warehouse is not the first thing they do. The first thing is to like buy a warehouse and dump some ETL data, right? whether you are pulling from Salesforce and so on. So that's generally the first use case. And then once you have like a data science team or some kind of a data engineering team that's when you want to pull clickstream data because analyzing that does require some sophistication so 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 what i'm saying is like uh, we, we do want to capture people who have set up a data warehouse they have like ha have been on it for like a couple of months and then mm -hmm. pitch to them if that makes sense yeah i think I, I i kind of understand the journey a little bit now so the it's a someone who's researching data warehousing is a, at a much earlier stage in their journey than somebody who's researching uh, clickstream, yeah. clickstream data and clickstream analytics. And it's much more valuable for you to get to them when they're looking for clickstream data, because that's when they have a direct uh, a use case. Exactly. Uh -huh. So gotcha. actually, like segment is the biggest vendor in this space. I mean, they recently got acquired by Twilio and like, that's why we also rank high on like segment related keywords, right? Segment alternative. I mean, and I mean, uh, like organically rank high, not just, I mean, or, or like open source segment, so. Yeah, I, I think that you've got a great page. I'm gonna go to the segment comparison page. And this is something that uh, I, I think not enough SaaS companies do this, but you have a head-to-head -head comparison with the, the, the heuristics, the features, and then here's uh, Rudderstack versus segment and you all are checking, well, all of the, all of the boxes in segment <laughs> is only checking a few of the boxes. I guess that it's also carefully selected those criteria. Of course. Yeah. But we we've seen we've seen this work for numerous B2B SaaS companies because people that are looking for a segment alternative um they really do want to see that kind of comparison that they're they're looking for what are the features and what's the value and and the price and um and I also can see from your paid keywords that you have a lot of keywords around segment alternatives and snow, uh, snow plow and these types of keywords. I know that those are expensive too because you're bidding on someone else's brand, but are those working and do those have a good uh, return on ad spend for you? Uh, I mean, honestly, uh, like I, I don't think so. I mean, they don't have a lot of traffic. Uh, so mm -hmm. it's hard to say if like they're driving substantial like lead volume to us. I mean. Uh, for us, I think the the number one uh, like uh, keyword is still like our own brand keyword, our stack. So I'm not sure how customers are finding us. Uh, that's still a mystery for us. Like, why, why where are they learning about our stack? Maybe it's all the content we are writing and distributing the content. That's how they find us. But like mm -hmm. organic search of our stack is like by far like it's, uh, if, if I had to put a number to it, like ten times the number of leads we get from our own keyword. Is what we get from like segment alternative or some of these alternative keywords. So we kind of do it, but uh, it's, it's not that they're driving a lot of uh, leads and traffic and so on. I got it. You mentioned some of the popular communities where developers and engineers are going to naturally go, like Hacker News. Mm -hmm. um, 
What about LinkedIn? Have you done any any type of marketing for LinkedIn? Because you can target them specifically on their yeah. uh, job job titles. So, I mean, LinkedIn was a mixed bag. I mean, we have a lot of followers on our LinkedIn page. So, and like it keeps going up. So I think like on, on the LinkedIn organic, creating a page and get, getting organic followers, like we, we have kind of done well. And whenever we kind of share like an interesting blog post for developers, uh, we, we get a lot of traffic to that from, from LinkedIn. So that has definitely worked well. What hasn't worked well is like paid ads on LinkedIn. So I, I don't know, maybe it was some problem with the, 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 the CTA, whether it was a problem on the, the messaging or whatever, right? So like the, mm-hmm. when I look at the CPC numbers on LinkedIn, they were like over the roof and it didn't justify, it didn't create any volume in terms of the number of leads. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, somebody, I think uh, organic distribution through our company page has been super, super use, uh, successful on LinkedIn. How often are you posting on LinkedIn organically? Pretty often. I mean, like we, every blog we write, we generally post it on LinkedIn. So, I mean, okay. we are at a cadence of like one blog a week, like actually okay. slightly more. So one and a half to two, I would say now, mm-hmm. a big content thing. So, I mean, you have I, any plan? Yeah. Some of our, like, I have had people sometimes complain also, right? You're posting too often on LinkedIn, but yeah, I think I take that as a compliment. Oh, really? I, I would take that as a compliment too. I think LinkedIn is one of the last remaining places where you can get organic reach. So if you do invest in building a following uh, for the company and you're posting from the company and you're posting from your personal profile, the reach that you'll get without advertising is still pretty pretty nice. Exactly. So um, we're, we're posting at least once or sometimes more than once a day on oh, LinkedIn. Wow. Yeah. And that's not always driven by blog posts. It could be other other stuff too. Um, such as just a quick video or a vlog, a daily vlog type of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we're seeing some great traction with LinkedIn. That's great. I mean, good to, good to get that validation. I mean, I think it's the same. Our experience was the same. So good to know that like video content also works well. So maybe we should give it a shot. I mean, so far we have been mostly doing like blogs and so on. But mm-hmm. video content, we kind of host it on Vimeo and then we put we have put a landing page. So uh, we haven't really shared video on LinkedIn for the birthday shot. I think LinkedIn, because it's trying to compete with Facebook video, they're giving extra organic reach to video, video posts. Interesting. Because they really want to get people to adopt video more on the, the native LinkedIn video. So when we do videos on LinkedIn, we don't post a YouTube link or a Vimeo link, but we actually post a, the raw video file so that it becomes a native LinkedIn video. And because of that, we, we've seen we get greater organic reach when we post native videos. In LinkedIn. Thanks for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, how about Facebook? Have you even thought about that or tried Facebook? Yeah, I mean, we, a channel. Right now, we are doing retargeting on Facebook. I mean, it's like that, yeah. it, and like it makes total sense. But that's the only thing we have kind of done on Facebook. So, mm-hmm. retargeting users, and we kind of tried running some campaigns on Facebook, uh, but. I mean, it's very hard to target based on like B2B demographics on Facebook. And I mean, like yeah. there, there are, I mean, for example, we want to target like data engineers. Like there are these communities called data engineering community, but they're just huge. There are 3 million, not like three to 10 million people who in like who have interest in data engineering. I mean, that's just too broad. So I think whatever algorithm Facebook is applying to like find, create those like audiences, that uh, doesn't seem to be at least working for us. So. Yeah, I understand. 
the remarketing makes a lot of sense because they're, you're just following someone who's already had some exposure somewhere. And um, normally the Facebook remarketing click will be much cheaper than a LinkedIn advertising exactly. click. Yeah. yeah. But beyond that, I, I can imagine these backend developer groups and things is going to be, it's going to be so, so large. It's going to be too diluted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've, I've also noticed here that you have a, you have a free a sign up, a free sign up option here on the site and it allows people I guess it's with limited use, but you have 500,000 events uh, or less per month. And um, is this a popular way? Do people kick the tires first, usually with the I mean, particularly when you're the developers, I mean, absolutely. I think when you're yeah. developers, they really, the last thing they want is to like talk to a salesperson. So they want to kick yeah. the tire, see if it is working, read your documentation. We also have an open source product. So like we have, we have a free tier on the SaaS offering, but we have an open source product which you can download and set it up and run yourself, right? So mm -hmm. that also is like a big channel for us. Like we get a bunch of downloads on the open source product. So mm -hmm. both uh, are super important when, you, when we are selling to developers, I, I believe. And, yeah, product-led marketing, especially for a, an audience that is not too keen to get on the phone with a salesperson, I imagine. Yeah, and uh, we have had cases like pretty large enterprises where, like, uh, like uh, I, I don't think I'm allowed to name them because we haven't closed the deal yet. But yeah, I mean, they uh, like CTOs and and and, and so on in, in those orgs. Like, they have set up an account with their personal email. They have kicked the tires, see if it is what what uh, a shot, and then they kind of reached out to us. And in the first sales call with which we had with them, there were like 11 people on their side. So they're already sold, like the product already sold. So, I mean, yeah. now it's mostly about the commercials and running a POC and all that stuff like MSA. So mm -hmm. the, having a free tier is super important when you're selling, uh, like when you have this like bottoms up uh, developer first uh, targeting. Absolutely. Adam Gross, uh, I, I don't know if you know him, like he, he used to be the CEO of Heroku uh, as VP at Salesforce. And he has this framework called one, two, three framework of like selling to developers. So uh, it's, it's a great uh, read. So yeah. What's... Can you can you walk us quickly through that one, two, three framework? I'm not familiar with it. It's kind of like how, how you sell to like companies like that, right? So you start with like uh, developers uh, like uh, at the bottom and so like he, he kind of contrasts like the traditional sales versus like the bottoms up sales right and the traditional sales was very much top down you go and like uh, have dinner with the the, the exec and the, the CIO or CTO and then you sell it to sell it to him first and then that gets pushed to the, the actual users so that was the traditional way of selling the, the new age uh, selling particularly to developers is like you you first sell to the developers uh, bottoms up, like uh, they kind of use the free tier product. Then you kind of upgrade them to the paid product and then you layer on sales on top, right? So who can go and pitch to uh, like the, the other teams in the company and and like mm -hmm. maybe then sell to the exec. That So this bottoms up motion is very different from the tops down motion that was like, like a decade back. So, and he kind yeah. of compares, gives example. I mean, you should watch the video. I mean, I probably didn't do it justice to Describing that, but yeah, it's just definitely. Mm -hmm. I'm also curious since you know so much about machine learning and and um, algorithms. Are you able to build a machine learning algorithm that can detect the likelihood or propensity of someone who's using the free product to be sales ready? Yeah, I mean, based on uh, some sort of activity levels or signals, engagement. Yeah, I mean that that's a great question, and in fact, my my previous startup was all about that. So. We, we, we could predict uh, how, how likely is somebody going to buy the product 
based on various different things. Firstly, like match with their existing customer profile. So who, who you have sold to in the past and how much do they match that profile like from the same persona, same set of interests, same set of companies. So like there is that match that is important. And the second important factor is like how much are they using the product, right? So you can literally build a model uh, to like do that. And you like in any large org, you have enough historic data, even for a company like our size, where we have like thousands of leads, you have enough historic data to say that what are the kind of people who are uh, converting. So you can take all this data about both the users, uh, the, the actual customers, but also their usage of the product. You can feed it into your model and you can predict like who, how, how much are they going to buy. I mean, your model will be as good as the data. So as yeah. the more richer data you can feed it and the more data you have, the better would be the model prediction. But like this is definitely, uh, yeah. like, and this is one of the big use cases of Rudderstack. Like we have customers who are using Rudderstack for similar use cases. Like th maybe they don't build a very sophisticated model, but even a simple model saying that if somebody has like created five workspaces in, in the product, then they're good, they're more likely to buy. And that itself is a very valuable data which often a lot of the sales teams don't have, right? I mean, the, like you have the sales org, which really has visibility into the product usage. So I think Rudderstack helps mm -hmm. to reach that data. So. so do you all use your own product to, to do this yeah. for your free trial users? Okay. We, do, we do use Rudderstack for our predicting. Our, we have a lead scoring model that is running on Snowflake. So we pull all that data through Rudderstack into Snowflake. Mm -hmm. We run this model. And then we kind of push this data back into Salesforce. So that our sales. And so I don't, I don't know if this is something that you can share with us, but what are the what are the primary signals of a a free a free trial user or a freemium user that tell you it's time to it's time to get in touch with the with the sales? Yeah, I mean, for us it is like have the added a source and a destination. So we have like this connection, right? If they set up a source and a destination, that means they are really serious about like. And it's a very simple step in the journey, right? I okay. mean, it's pretty easy. But That's probably long, one of the first steps to using the product, right? Yeah, but as long as you, if you have a valid source and a destination, a lot of people just add, add a random destination, put in some random... I, I think I got most of my but, questions but, yeah, If you have a valid source and a destination... And, then, and I think uh, it's uh, fascinating yeah, what you're doing with Rudderstack. So, you, you are ready to... So, uh, so my, uh, I wish you all the best so and think, thanks for, thanks for spending the time the model. with me. I think we have a lot of great stuff for our listeners and I really appreciate that you shared all this with us. Yeah. How many free users do you have today? Thanks again. Okay. Uh, like in, in terms of signups, oh, few thousands. But when when it comes to like live customers who are like sending traffic through us, like few hundreds. So, so. okay, but it's enough to at least begin working with a machine learning model, I yeah, suppose. Exactly. Uh -huh. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop. Be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about SaaS growth marketing, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P, dot online. Have a great day.